0: Welcome, folks, um, to the first of the Young Adult and Campus Ministry Office of the Episcopal Church's uh, Google Hangout Live. Um, I am here with Erin Jimenez-Pike, who is the Episcopal Campus Minister at the University of Louisville. That's not that's Louisville, that's Louisville. That's right. Um, in the Diocese of Kentucky, right? Yep. And um, with Kyle Boss, that's like a boss, Um, Kyle Boss, who's the (laughs) New Young Adult Missioner from the Diocese of Western Michigan. Um, Kyle is working with one of our new leadership grants for campus ministry in a regional um, young adult ministry that includes folks from campuses uh, there in Grand Rapids. So welcome to you all, and welcome to our viewers or viewer online. It's good to be with you. Today we're going to talk a little bit about um, relationship building and about working to build relationships with young adults on your campus, in your city. Uh, All three of us were participants at the Kindling Conference this summer that was put on uh, by the Episcopal Church's Young Adult and Campus Ministers at the University of Minnesota. And the first night, we heard from two community organizers, um, two young women who work at a church called Luther Place in Washington, D.C., and who have been trained by the Industrial Areas Foundation in community organizing. Uh, They're full-time ministers, but their title at the church is community organizers, and they did a training with us on what is the cycle of community organizing and some of the tools that community organizers use to build a movement. So we wanted to talk particularly about one of those tools and how it fits into the cycle of building a community. Um, and that tool is called the relational meeting or the one-on-one. And I'm going to give just a little bit of background about the one-on-one and then uh, Kyle and Arindira and I are going to have a little bit of a conversation about how this tool in particular is useful in building community with young adults. Uh, So, in a really, really important book in my own formation, um, Ed Chambers, who was the head of the Industrials Area Foundation, which was in the first organizing bodies for community organizers, uh, Ed Chambers wrote this book, Roots for Radicals, um, and he describes the relational meeting, and he talks about the relational meeting in his second chapter as the most radical thing we teach. Um, he says that community organizers, the most radical thing they teach is how to have a one-on-one meeting with somebody, uh, which is interesting. I think it's it's interesting to think about having coffee with people as radical. <laughs> back when I uh, worked as the campus minister at the University of California San Diego uh, on my Facebook profile, um, it used to have a line where it said what you did for work and it wasn't like a checkbox like it is now. Like, and now there's sort of like titles you can pick. Missioner is not one of them somehow, but there are sort of titles you can pick and things. But back then you could sort of describe your work and I used to describe my work as Coffee for Jesus Um, I have coffee for Jesus, and I I like that idea that a relational meeting, that coffee for Jesus, um, can be the most radical thing we do. Uh, And to get to that point, um, Chambers goes on to describe what this is, and we heard from community organizers at Kindling about, what is a relational meeting? What does it mean to think about building relationship, starting a relationship, having that kind of conversation as something that is radical? And so Chambers says that a relational meeting is principally different from the kind of conversation we have every day. It's different from the kind of coffee we have so often with people. A relational meeting is intentional. Um, When we invite somebody to have a one-on-one with us, we're doing so on purpose because we're trying to get to know deeply who that person is. Chambers says we don't spend enough time talking with one another about the things that really matter to us. And so in a one-on-one meeting um, that is as taught by community organizers, we really spend time talking deeply to somebody, talking about um, how does this person see herself? Uh, Why do they do what they do for work? Why are they majoring in what they're majoring in? Uh, And it's sort of an art because you don't really want to ask those questions directly, right? Like you don't want to just say, so why do you major in what you're majoring in? Or um, who are your heroes? Uh, Especially with college students that may not come off the best, but you're sort of subtly questioning in a way to really get to know what is behind what this person is doing. Um, And one of the beauties of a really amazing one-on-one, some of the best one-on-one meetings I've had where a community organizer has initiated something with me they have asked questions that people don't ask me very often um, and they push me for answers that maybe I haven't come up with fully myself and I hear myself saying well I really care about this because and it's the first time I've articulated that but it's a little different than pastoral care um, it's not a conversation that's principally about trying to put together the world for somebody it's a conversation that is about trying to understand why this person is who they are and getting a sense of what they would like to lead. So community organizers, of course, do this as they're trying to build a campaign they're trying to figure out what a group of people care about in terms of a justice issue in their community. And by going through a number of one-on-ones, they can figure out who they want to get together to talk about an issue. Um, they might hear from a woman who lives on one street and a dad who's involved with the PTA and a local business owner that they're all frustrated with like trash pickup in that community. And so then they'll get them together and talk about trash pickup and figure out what's going on. That's the kind of listening a community organizer is doing. Um, somebody who's involved in building a young adult ministry is looking for a similar kind of similar passion. Um, What is this young adult and this young adult and this young adult saying about what it's like to live in this community or study at this school? Um, Are they finding places to talk about questions of meaning? And would they want to talk about questions of meaning together? Thinking about ministry this way is sort of Countercultural to the way that a lot of the Church has done ministry over the past several decades, Uh, we've had a very event or program based ministry. Uh, We tend to say, here's our program, here's what our ministry is, we're going to do this thing um, at the Church, we're going to play volleyball, or we're going to... And we tend to do the program and try to get people to come to the program. Looking at ministry from the perspective of community organizer asks us to flip that, asks us to say, who are the people in the neighborhood that we don't know yet? Let's get to know some of them and see what they're passionate about and ask what could we build together. So instead of building a program and trying to drag people across the threshold, it's about going out to where the people are and trying to invite them into building something which takes a little more patience, as Kyle and I were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, It sometimes feels like all you're doing is having coffee with people. But to do a one-on-one meeting, after a one-on-one meeting, after a one-on-one meeting, the faith in it is that eventually you hear the same kind of murmurs, the same kind of interests, the same kind of passions, and there's some sense of you're doing deep work of discernment about what God is already up to in the lives of young adults in your community. So let's talk about the basic, basic pieces of a one-on-one meeting. Um, What does a one-on-one meeting look like? Um, Well, a one-on-one meeting begins by finding a young adult um, who has some loose relationship to your ministry. It could be just somebody who you've heard about who's doing a great job at leading something on your college campus or it might be a young adult that you run into regularly at a coffee shop near your church and who you see doing something, meeting with people regularly. It takes that first kind of gutsy little bit to sort of say, hey would you be interested in having coffee? Would you be interested in talking? Um, And in my experience, it sort of becomes a little tricky sometimes to make sure that people don't think you're asking them out on a date. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: Be real about it. Um, But what you want to say is something along the lines of, I'm just interested in hearing uh, from some people in the neighborhood, from some people on campus, Um, we're trying to do something new with this ministry that I'm working with, with this church that I'm working with, and we're just interested in hearing from people, um, getting to know the people in our neighborhood. Would you be willing to have coffee with me?" A very clear ask. And then um, you spend 45 minutes, and community organizers are really, really you know, like firm on it shouldn't be more than 45 minutes it shouldn't be less than 45 minutes if you go over an hour you're not doing the work of a one-on-one it should be 45 minutes and that when you do a one-on-one meeting you only talk for 30 percent of the time unlike what I'm doing right now Um, you spend 30 percent of the time asking questions sharing little bits of your story explaining who you are But everything you do, the questions, the stories you share, the explanation about what you're trying to do, is all really to set up the other person to talk. Um, It's all to set up the other person sharing with you their story, their passion, um, their history. So a one-on-one meeting really is about deeply listening but also sharing a little bit of yourself. Remember, there is a full 30%. It's not like an interview on NPR where you just pop in a couple questions and then listen to the other person talk. You want to share a little bit about yourself because you're trying to build a relationship. Um, And then at the end of a one-on-one, you should be able to answer questions like, what is this person passionate about? Why is this person passionate about that? Um, what is their personal history that leads them to that kind of energy and at the end of a one-on-one there should be some kind of ask not that you want to sell them on your program or get them to come into your church or trick them into getting baptized or anything like that but the ask is something around how do we continue this relationship it can be as simple as would you like to have coffee with me again or who else do you know that might be interested in exploring a question like this Um, Would you be willing to introduce me to this person or that person? Um, It helps you get to know what people in your area are passionate about and it helps you build the network of relationship that it takes to start a ministry. So that's my little um, 10 minutes on what is a one-on-one meeting. Um, What I'd love to hear from Aaron and Kyle is a little bit about how they're building relationships in their contexts. And so maybe I'll ask uh, Erindira to start out by talking about um, where the University of Louisville's campus ministry was when she got there and where it is now and what relationships she's working on building.
1: Yeah. Um, So I um, have been doing campus ministry. This is my second year. Um, Last year I um, had zero experience, basically. Um I had participated in campus ministry in my undergrad um, but it was my first time really working with college students and um, when I was coming in the campus minister that had been there before me uh, she just had a lot of other things on her plate so and she really just wanted me to have you know start with a blank slate so I came in with um, not a whole lot of programs um, and not a whole lot of students so I um, A lot of what last year was, was just watching um, part of the Episcopal Campus Ministry at UofL. Um, We are part of the Interfaith Center on campus, so we share um, space with a couple of different campus ministries, the Catholic Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Lutheran Church, um, and the Jewish Federation. Um, So we have students that are constantly coming into the building um, that are not necessarily Episcopalian but are really faithful students that um, just have a lot of passion and um, a lot of fun. So last year was a lot of just watching and observing and trying to figure out what Episcopal campus ministry could offer that was different than um, what some of the other campus ministries were already offering on campus. Uh, the other thing that I should mention is that where I live is a little bit more conservative um, and it's a, it's a big Catholic population, a big Baptist population, um, and not a whole lot of Episcopalians. So um, I just I, I felt like our church has something very special to offer our students, um, space to question and, and space to doubt and wrestle with questions. Um, and I had one particular student last year who uh, had just come out um, and he is very devout Catholic but also was exploring his sexuality and was just really trying to figure out a way to um, Make space for both of those things, and so I met with him, and I met with the director of the intersection, which is the LGBT center on campus that um, is quite large and is uh, has a lot of support, which is awesome. Um, so slowly but surely, I've just been meeting with a lot of the students um, that are part of that center and hearing their stories. Um, there has been a lot of hurt from a lot of the students that. Have been told that they're going to hell, that God doesn't love them, um, and so I think a lot of them just really struggle with how to fit spirituality into um, their lives. And as of right now, um, we don't have any like concrete thing, but um, we do. Uh, we were part of Pride Week this this year and last year, and we do an interfaith service and. Um, just really trying to create space for, for those students' needs who um, desire something but don't really know how, how to articulate it yet. And um, and also just meeting with the students on campus as well who, or that are in the Interfaith Center because they are, they are students who have grown up in church and they have a totally different set of um, just needs and desires uh, trying to figure out how to make their faith their own when they have been... Raised going to church their whole lives and, um, you know, just like most college students trying to discern vocation and trying to discern who God is for them is a 22-year-old who's about to graduate. So um, that's a little bit of what I do and, uh, again, like just a couple of meetings here and there. It's uh, it's a very slow process, definitely, but it's a good one.
0: Yeah, the slow process is um, sometimes uh, one of the most frustrating things about this style of ministry is it 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 can feel like it's not going anywhere very quickly. Um, But if one of the things that we keep hearing about the trajectory of the church is that we have a more and more unchurched uh, young adult population coming into college, coming into our cities. And so we can't really rely on the steady influx of folks already coming into our ministries looking for the Episcopal Church on the corner or looking for the Episcopal Campus Ministry on campus. It takes us going and intentionally building relationships, and sometimes that's just slow, hard work. Um, Kyle, we were talking a little bit earlier about um, the idea that having a set number of relational meetings or one-on-ones as sort of a even just an expectation for yourself can be a really important practice in leadership. Can you talk about Mm -hmm. what role that is playing in the project you're developing right now in Grand Rapids?
2: Yeah. I was really challenged at Kindling when I heard um, the two young ladies talk about community organizers, and one of them said that she meets with five people a week, Um, and I think they might have all been new Um, new contacts with people, so I decided to start uh, a little bit uh, lower um, as far as expectations and work um, with three folks a week that were relationships that I'd already established through various networks of relationships, but then try to meet with two people a week that um, were new, that were either references from other community organizing um, one-on-one meetings that I would have with young people. Um, and then also meeting with folks that weren't necessarily just young adults, but also leaders um, in the community. Um, so folks like, um, I met with the former general secretary of the RCA once mm-hmm. to ask him some questions and, about his experiences in the church and what he hears from young people. And then folks like um, working in urban uh, development and to hear what they have to say about the needs of young people in the city and in particular neighborhoods. Um, so it's it's been definitely, like you say, like a practice or a discipline, but I have found it to be very fruitful in building what I like to call a culture of encounter. Mm. Um, so it's this belief that being present to people over time builds Um, a sort of culture in which this dynamism can emerge. Mm -hmm. And like we've talked about a lot, that that takes um, a considerable amount of time. Um, But one thing that you talked about, Mike, that I've found helpful is um, the end of the meeting that I I have with folks, um, asking those two questions. Um, So who else should I meet with? That's been very important to making these new connections and relationships. Um, And then taking the time after a meeting to jot down notes. So asking those questions like, what did I hear? What what are the passions that people are expressing? And then over time, being able to look back on those notes. I think it was actually Henry Nowen in his book, Creative Ministry, he talks about the importance that ministers like um, clinical psychologists should have, like a three-by-five card about every person they meet, and so they can reference people in that type of intentional way. So mm-hmm.
0: I found those sorts of practices to be very important for me. Yeah, community organizers will sometimes talk about that note as a stick figure, hmm. and I've done a lot of organizing training, and I've never been able to figure out why they call it a stick figure, except I think it means that they mean, like, a sketch of a person. Right. Um, maybe once upon a time they told you, like, what to write on the one leg and what to write on the other leg and, like... But, um, but I've, found, I've also found that, um, you know, I, I try to take those notes in an online application like Evernote, because then if I'm meeting with somebody meeting somebody for coffee and I don't have, you know, my Moleskin with me or I don't have my computer with me, I can look on my phone and be like, okay, what did we talk about last time? Oh, yeah. Um, which feels a little weird, but I think you're exactly right. Like, psychologists do this regularly. They, you're sort of expected to keep notes on folks. If you're trying to build a leadership core, why would you not um, have notes on who people are and what their connections are. Um, I'd like to move into a little bit around um, this question of how do you go from one-on-ones into a movement? What is it, you know, how does it move from just Mm -hmm. what can seem like randomly initiated coffees that don't go anywhere into some sort of something that looks like church? Um, And I I think that's a really important question. Uh, And often when Mm -hmm. I've uh, done conversations around one on one with church leaders, you know they're really excited about doing the one-on-ones and they'll come back and they'll say well I did like 10 one-on-ones and I'll say what did you hear and there's not as much attention being paid to like common themes Uh, they're excited to get to know people and there is something energetic especially especially if you're an extrovert or you have a little bit of extrovert in you there's something energizing to meeting with people (laughs) but there's a listening that needs to happen that connects between people. It's it's one of the reasons why I think um, having a discipline of a certain number of one-on-ones a week can be helpful because by keeping in the practice and trying to connect you know what did that person and that person have in common on a consistent basis you can sort of listen for themes and when you're listening for themes you can also start to figure out what are the connections I need to make um, something Kyle you said that I thought was really interesting was um, that you spend time and remind me, were you getting you know two new, new people and three people that you already had a relationship with, or was it the reverse?
2: Uh, it was the former, so what,
0: yeah, the first thing you said. Okay, which I don't remember what that is now, but to have a mix <laughs> of new people and people in the institution, that mm-hmm. part of the role of leaders and ministries with young adults is as connectors, as a bridge builder, mm-hmm. and that you represent... Um, the church when you do this work so it makes a lot of sense to be thinking about your one-on-ones as both who are the leaders you need to get to know within your institution whether that's your diocese or the parishes near your campus or wherever the institution relationship networks are how do you get to know them so that you have access to the leadership and the resources of the institution and who are the people that are not connected to the institution that you're initiating contact with? And listening deeply to where are the resonances there, as well. Because as you're trying to build a network of people, the work is to figure out how does what's happening here and what this person is passionate about connect. Um, And sometimes that is simple, and that just means, well, you two should have coffee. And sometimes that's more nuanced. Sometimes that means that you meet with um, a leader over and over again and try to help them figure out. Erin, dear, when you were talking about the LGBT stuff, um, it reminded me when I was at the University of California, there was a student in the LGBT organization that I met with probably five or six times my first year, and it just felt like we were sort of doing like, almost like just me affirming that the religious community was not wholly against LGBT people, that there were alternative voices out there. As time was going, it started to become clear that this young person didn't just need to hear this for himself. he needed to figure out a way to say this, because his faith had been something that he grew up with and was important to him. And he wanted a way to sort of articulate that. And so, the third semester that I knew him, we started talking about what would it look like if we tried to get a group together to talk about these things. Um, and he introduced me to some people that I met with one-on-one, and then he and I and a couple of those folks built a little group of um, people to talk about faith and LGBT, and we, you know, had tea, and we talked about LGBT, and we it was a really, really great kind of thing, but it was the organic network of relationships that allowed that to build um, and and it meant that the program came out of the relationships rather than trying to create a program that then you bring people into. Um, have you all found that at all? Have you seen any senses of like gravity about where um, some of these relational meetings might be taking you or are taking you?
1: Um, yeah, The so we have um... Like I said, the Interfaith Center, we have a lot of students from um, a lot of different denominations that share a space. Um, and we also have a lot of other campus ministries on campus as well that are not part of the Interfaith Center. And um, we have a lot of students um, in our center that are very, um, they're very much leaders and they very much have passion for um I guess, sharing the gospel, um, evangelizing. Um, So it's been neat to kind of have these conversations and realize that, that they want to be more present on campus. It's a very tight community in the space, but they want to share that with the rest of the campus. Um, So we've actually put together a student council of just a handful of students that come into the interface Center, and they decided that they wanted to extend an invitation to some of the other campus ministries that Um, are probably more conservative, just have different theologies, and um, they have decided that they want to put together a progressive dinner where Mm. we all go into each other's um, worship spaces or gathering spaces um, and just share a meal together um, Mm. with no proselytizing, no sort of anything like that but just to be people of faith together on campus and then to extend that invitation to the rest of the campus so that other students who um, it might feel a little intimidating to just come into you know one space for mass or something like that they have the opportunity to maybe just be a face in the crowd for an evening um, but explore some of the different options on campus so um, that's been really neat to just see some of that interfaith dialogue starting to happen and it really coming from the students desire to know their neighbors. Mm. Mm.
0: I think that's beautiful because partly because I think everything we hear about Millennials is that self-authorship is really important. Um, you know it, it, it's the selfie generation and I know that's overused but one of the things about approaching ministry relationally is to say that what you have to contribute matters, and so it sounds like there's a desire both to know the neighbors and to share a little bit about what's going on in the individual faith communities that comes from that.
1: Yeah.
0: Kyle, what about you? has, has Have you been building a movement in Grand Rapids?
2: <laughs> That's an audacious claim, Mike. Yeah. Um, you know, like we've talked about so far, it is a work of patience. Um, But as I've continued with these one-on-one meetings week after week after week, there have been common themes, and one of them you just pointed to, that um, young people especially want to be active participants in shaping the lives of their faith communities. And so um, what we've been trying to do with about 15 or so people that I've met, both through existing congregations, Episcopal congregations, and then also... um, young adult leaders that are from different denominations that gather around shared values and um, one of those values that has emerged is um, building the sort of spaces where people can share these very simple acts like what has just been shared, um, having a meal together, sharing stories together, and so what we found is that um, Underneath all those questions, there are similar longings that people desire um, for, desire for belonging, desire um, to have safe spaces to share their lives together. So we've come around uh, a book by Jean Venier, who's well known for his work with the L'Arche Communities, and the book's called Community and Growth, so what we do is we meet every week um, to share a meal together and to talk about the themes in this book, and then Um, About five weeks from now, we're going to harvest all of the notes that we've been taking from our conversations and say, in light of what we've experienced and shared, how could we invite more people into this experience? What about this experience did you find um, personally growing for you, and um, how could that relate to more people? So that's what we're excited about here. But that transition from... um, Networking and one-on-one relationships to a community of practice is a scary transition. Mm -hmm. For me in particular, um, I found inviting our bishop, um, we have a new bishop here in Western Michigan, to a gathering with young people to be a great way to kick off the Mm -hmm. community of practice. And that allowed him for an opportunity to represent the institution and say, Uh, We're for you. We want to create spaces for you and welcome you into the church. And the response was fantastic, so we
0: look forward to continuing the work here. Yeah, you've got a particularly good outgoing bishop for that, too. It was at the Diocesan Convention for Western Michigan this year, and he made sure that there was a dance party in the midst of it. (laughs) Right? Nice. Not quite every bishop is quite up to that, but... um, But yeah, no, I I think that that finding a way for the institution to be present and available for young people, um, sometimes bishops can be really helpful, sometimes parish priests can be really helpful in that. Um, But finding a way to make that transition from a network of relationships into a community of practice, it it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of tending. Mm -hmm. Uh, It takes a lot of making sure that the people you're meeting with as you build a community that they need each other so that... um, it's not a, you know, the, it doesn't look like a, a um, I'm thinking about like a dandelion, a, a, a dry dandelion with yeah. the seeds where everything comes into the center and the leaders at the center. Uh, right. What you really want is like one of those geospheres where everybody's connected to everybody and hopefully there's some gravity. Um, but that, it takes a lot of work of tending to relationships. <laughs> um, any more that you all want to say about building a movement, about moving mm-hmm. from sort of relationships to program? Mm-hmm.
2: I would just Hi. jump in and reiterate again, like, I, I've been sort of thinking about um, one-on-ones in anticipation of this conversation mm-hmm. as a sort of, like, ecology,
0: mm. and
2: that um, we somehow, like, could just have this conversation in which we talk about isolated events that happen, like a one-on-one meeting, but actually, there's a whole set of a way of being in the world. I think that ministers um, can grow into that helps make possible one-on-one meetings um, in the first place. And one of those things that I found is um, again being consistent and faithful in let's say like what are the cultural epicenters of your city or or your campus? Where are the young adults gathering? and making sure you're there every week, every other week. Um, Let's say if it's a coffee shop. And I've been surprised already with how many conversations have just come up and sitting in the same place week after week because you're a familiar face. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that was one thing I I really thought was important to share, and then also connected to that, um, protests and other gatherings in your city that young adults are a part of. um, It's sort of this whole... Analogy, like if you're at a if you're not at a party, no one's going to talk about you being there later. Mm-hmm. So if you are at the party and your face is present, and you're saying, "I'm here with the Episcopal Church," again, that creates that sort of culture of encounter where people can go back to their friends and say, "You know, hey, the church was present at this gathering."
0: Mm-hmm. And that leads us really well into the first question we have. Oh, so can, if can you I want... say one more thing? Oh, go back? ahead, Erin. Yeah, yeah, go ahead.
1: Um, no, you're fine. I um. One of the things that's been really important for me to remember is um, to not take things personally um, (laughs) because (laughs) it's it's really easy to... feel so much responsibility from this or to feel really let down when a conversation doesn't go perfectly or when you feel like you said the wrong thing um, you know it's just it's kinda of like oh my god I've messed this up and like how could I um, but at the end of the day it's really been a process for me to remember that um, like I am just like the hands of God and that the spirits already working mm-hmm. and you know even if i didn't say the right thing that doesn't mean that god wasn't present in the situation in the conversation in that other person um, so that's just been an important reminder for myself that this just it's not all on me and it's not my responsibility to um, make everything work
0: mm-hmm. i i that's a really important reminder um, i think it's important to move into some of the questions we have. If you're watching live, um, feel free to use the hashtag YAMinistry uh, on Twitter to ask questions. Um, The first question we have comes from Jason Evans and we may be able to talk about this the whole time, Uh, but his question is, if you don't have any young adults, where do you start? So, if you don't have any young adults, where do you start?
1: So last year, when I started, I had no young adults. Um, Mm -hmm. And (laughs) uh, a lot of it, so firstly, it was asking people who'd been involved in the diocese um, for a lot longer than I had what contacts they had, um, and not being, like, ashamed to ask that question um, and saying, like, I don't have resources and you do, so can you help me out? Mm -hmm. Um, And then secondly is also... um, being present at um, big... We, so since I'm on campus, uh, there's lots of events that are very important to meeting people. So orientation week or pride week, things like that. Um, finding ways to like be present and be there so that people recognize your face. Um, and then, obviously, following up with people is something that I still have a hard time with. Um, but I found that that really is the, the biggest thing is that when you do meet a person who seems interested, like getting back to them right away and saying it was really great to like see your face at this thing and, um, and just doing exactly what we've been talking about, saying hey, like, let's grab coffee or something like that. <laughs> so.
0: That's my labradoodle. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. That's, that's one of the hardest things to – and I, I love what you said at the beginning in terms of what you have resources. I found – when I was the campus minister at UCSD, one of the most important points of contact I had was the grandmothers that would yes. tell me about their grandchildren. Yes. We have a yep. lot of grandmothers in the Episcopal Church, so um, <laughs> finding those grandmothers who have grandchildren on campus or in your city becomes really important when you start yep. out with nobody. Yep. Kyle, I think what you were saying too, can you talk a little bit about, you talked about a protest, but are there other examples in Grand Rapids of places where you try to be? Um,
2: well, I guess there is something, like, beyond just showing up because you want to, like, win people over to your thing. I, I've really been drawn to this maxim um, that's attributed to St. Irenaeus that the glory of God is known in the human person most fully alive. Mm-hmm. So sort of like my task as a minister is to become more fully human and therefore participate in the life of the city So more recently, here in Grand Rapids, we have on this huge event called Art Prize, and so there are tons of people that come and flock to the city and see artwork all over the place, and so one thing is just like, hey, being being, um, available and present at these gatherings and then being able to bring that experience back to conversations you're having with people that are already familiar with your context. So I would just like to stress, like, it's it's not only going to events with an agenda, but it's just living life and participating in your city, and I think people are going to be um, drawn to folks like that
0: wherever they find them. Yeah. I think that's really important because one of the, I think, hardest pieces of this and, and one of the hardest pieces to work out for congregations is that a lot of times when I do a conversation with a congregation about young adult ministry there's a real anxiety about where are the young people and that anxiety has a lot more to do with we want to make sure that this building that we Mm -hmm. love this Mm -hmm. way of being community that we've loved continues in this way um, for these people and you can sense the anxiety sometimes when those congregations try to engage with young adults because there's this real sort of like we need young people to make sure this thing that we love stays alive,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: which is very different than what you're talking about, um, which is to go and participate where young people are and help them to grow in what it is they're passionate about and know that they may choose to build something with the tradition that you're trying to hand them that looks so totally different than what you already have. You may initiate a group, uh, a a ministry with young people that doesn't look anything like um, what your Sunday morning service looks like. There's a church in Miami Um, an Anglo-Catholic church in Miami, where my friend Daniel Lado leads a ministry. And this Anglo-Catholic church, you know, the median age is probably somewhere in the 70s. And on Sunday morning, it is all smells and bells, and Mm -hmm. Daniel went. And that sort of works for him, but he knew it wouldn't work for his friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he started building something, and eventually they created this dinner church. And so they meet in the parish hall. And it's a group of people that come around for dinner, and they come around to share a story and to share a meal, but it doesn't look anything like Sunday morning looks like. And the beauty of that congregation is they said, go build those relationships uh, and let those people figure out, those new young adults figure out what it is that they need from the tradition and how they need to express that. Um, That when you're trying to initiate relationships, it really is not about trying to sell people on. Your way of doing church and trying to keep your institution alive the way it is alive right now. Do you all find that? Um, is do you find that anxiety in your diocese and where you're doing ministry? Hmm. Maybe less on campus, Arundira.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna let Kyle take this question. Sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I well, in our diocese, this is the. The position that I have is newly created, and so there is still a lot of um, ambiguity that I'm trying to work through to more clearly articulate what it is exactly I'm attempting to do with this new um, opportunity, and so it does come up often, um, this theme of anxiety about, like, where are the young people, how can we get them... Again, this is a huge assumption that I find into the building, um, into this space, and um, so I found over time um, developing relationships with Episcopal leadership through actually things like these one-on-one meetings or a variation of them is helpful in beginning to listen to what assumptions are sort of operative. and then. I see my my job, especially because I'm meeting with so many young people, as a translator to say, you know, this is what I'm hearing. Um, How does that intersect with the assumptions that you're bringing to this conversation, and how can I be of service um, to you? So I think young adult missioners and chaplains do have a a distinct privilege and place in the church Mm. to address this particular anxiety. Um, it doesn't make it easy, necessarily, that you're, you're addressing it, but I think it's a role that we have in helping our churches become a little bit more patient um, in the process and to ask new
0: questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have one more question, um, and we promise in future um, times to make more space for questions as more questions come. Um, but this question comes from Laurel in the Diocese of San Diego. Uh, and she asked, community organizing is a term that is thrown ar- around a lot. It's a popular term in the church these days. Uh, what is one concrete action that would be involved with young adult ministry that use community organizing? So what is one concrete action um, that would make young adult ministry sort of, of the flavor of community organizing? I think we've talked about it, I think it's one, <laughs> ones, you know, I think it's, but but I, I do think that that's, it's sort of it, we live in a really justice church, right, we, we live in a yeah. church that loves to talk about social justice and um, sometimes we don't, I think, examine that our social justice comes from a place of privilege we speak from our pulpits and we use our big spaces and we use the fancy outfits we wear to get media attention but that community organizers would say, well, that's all well and good, but who are the people you're getting to know? Um, how are you building a network with the people that actually live in your neighborhood? Um, that's what I think makes it community organizing. Do you think that that's true? I, I, yeah. are, are you all working to build justice with young adults? Is that involved in why you're doing the organizing style work you're doing?
1: No, for myself i mean i think that each individual person has like this deep desire and this deep passion and um, i know that sometimes it's really hard to find like ways and places to articulate that and then to um to birth those ideas and um, and i think that that's I've seen that as kind of my place in, on our campus is to provide a space to have these one-on-ones with students, um, with different people on campus and say what well, like what would you like to see, like what is your passion and um, like how can I partner with you or how can I be a resource for you because um, your passion is probably not my passion um, but I love you and I think that um, like your passion is is a, a gift from God, and so that's a valuable thing. And um, I don't know. I think our young adults really like. There's just so much of that. There's so much desire to like do good in the world, but they don't always know how to do it. And so these sorts of conversations really are are the place for those those dreams to be realized or started to be realized.
0: Yeah, building church not for the sake of church but for the sake of the kingdom of God. Yeah. It's a good place to, uh, to leave it off. So I want to say thank you to Kyle Boss and Erin Dira Jimenez-Pike. Um, it was a pleasure to have the conversation with you.
1: Yeah, thank you for allowing us to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you both. Um, we will put all of the resources that we talked about up on our um, blog site, episcoyacum.org. Um, and, uh, and you can find that site through the Episcopal Church's official websites if you need to get there. Um, but we'll put up links to uh, the various books we talked about, and uh, that will all be up later this evening. Uh, next month, uh, on the first Tuesday of the month, at this same time, 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, we'll have another Broadcast conference call. Uh, the theme of that conference call is funding your ministry. Um, fundraising, stewardship, um, stewardship, we're in the midst of Stewardship season, so where's the money? Um, so we'll have a couple of people who have been successful at um, fundraising campaigns with Young Adult Ministries and Campus Ministries in recent years uh, to come in and talk about some creative ideas for funding your ministry. So we hope you'll join us uh, on the 4th of November at 6 p.m. Eastern here online for our next conference call. Uh, thanks so much.